What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you guys don't know what Mystery Ranch is yet, well, I uh, got some serious questions. They are like the household name of wildland firefighting packs. So check them out. But in addition to the wildland fire packs, which are uber comfortable and ultra tough. They make a ton of other uh, load bearing essentials. So if you need to go peel a trophy elk off the side of the hill, well, they got a solution for you. If you need some gear to go skinning across the backcountry, well, they make uh, some solutions for that. Hell, they even make briefcases, which are pretty cool. So if you need a crew boss kit to throw together, well, they got a solution for you. But in addition to all the awesome packs that they make, they are doing a ton of other stuff. And we're actually going to announce it pretty much today. So with that being said, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series and the 1039 Scholarship Program. It's a, their way of giving back to the community that helped build them up. And I am super stoked to be working with them on that project. So once again, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check them out. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor. Who is that? Well, it is none other than Hotshot Brewery, of course. They make kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation, another kick-ass organization. But in addition for to, in addition to kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes, they make a ton of other stuff. They've got a full line of apparel, of Wildland Firefighting-themed apparel, which is pretty cool. They're going to have some Christmas designs coming out here pretty soon for the holidays. And they have a full line of all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. So go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check them out. Oh, and in addition to that, they support the Anchor Point podcast by slinging our merch. So if you want to get your hands on one of those sweet OD Green Band of Brothers shirts or one of those Fire Fiend shirts or some stickers or any other swag from the Anchor Point podcast, once again, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. God, I really messed that up. Oh, well, you know where to go. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our latest and greatest sponsor, and that is none other than Manscaped. Oh, yeah, your balls will thank you. It's a pretty cool uh, little thing they got going on there, and uh, they're also here to remind you that 2020 is the year of things that are completely out of your control, but they are here to remind you that there is one thing you can't keep in control, and that is the length of your unruly bush with the Lawnmower 3.0, which is pretty badass. I had a the uh, lawnmower 2.0 for quite some time, then just recently upgraded to the lawnmower 3.0, which is now waterproof, has a built-in LED light, and it's got that skin-safe technology built right into the blade to help reduce the occurrence of those manscaping mishaps, which nobody wants to have happen to them. But holidays are coming up, and these things make kick-ass gifts. So go over to www.manscape.com and check out the perfect package. Comes with a lawnmower 3.0, comes with like a travel case, comes with a sweet pair of boxers, comes with the Crop Reviver and the Crop Preserver anti-chafing ball deodorant, which is pretty damn cool. So ladies, if you want to get your uh, your significant other a sweet-ass gift, go over to www.manscaped.com. And when you're done shopping around, throw that thing in your cart and use the code ANCHORPOINT, all one word. That's ANCHORPOINT at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. The Anchor Point Podcast would also like to give a little bit of a shout out to our good buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement, and that stands for the Anti-Service Shitting Movement. I don't know if you guys have been on a trail or hiking around or even on the fire line and have come across a nice human turd that's been gift wrapped in toilet paper, but that shit needs to stop and it's disgusting. But lucky for you, you can spread awareness 
to stopping this tissue issue. Go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out our good buddies over at the ass movement. You can get some ass stickers, some big ass stickers. You can get small ass stickers. You can get some ass posters. You can get some ass buttons. Hell, you can get ass patches if you really wanted to, but it all kind of spreads a message, a very important message of burying your turds on public lands. Being a steward of the land is our job and we need to continue to do so so we can spread the message and help people pack it out or bury it, which a lot of people don't know about, surprisingly, but we can spread the word. If you go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement, you can save 10%. Oh yeah. Use code anchorpointass10, all one word, for 10% off your order. And once again, that is www.thefirewild.com. And pull up that tab that says the ass movement and boom, you're there. So check it out. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. And Bethany has a pretty kick-ass organization over there, and she is basically telling the story of wildland fire across the globe now, which is pretty cool. So if you guys want to find out more, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check out more than 100 stories dating all the way back to the 1940s, all about wildland fire. So if you guys want a little history lesson or a trip down memory lane, I highly, highly recommend that you go over there and check it out. In addition to this, she's giving back to the community. She's actually doing another round for the 2021 year. She's doing another round of those Smoky Generation grants for those people in the field that are telling the story of wildland fire, which is pretty awesome. So look for that uh, drop in here pretty soon. And if you happen to be a writer, a photographer, a blogger, a cinematographer, anybody who's telling the story of wildland fire, well, you might have an opportunity to win one of these sweet ass grants. So go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. Podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. So today on the show, we're going to be continuing with part two of Lucas Mayfield's original podcast uh, last week. And we're going to be going a little bit more into depth about what the Backbone series is and what that's all about. Whole mission there is to kind of educate the public about what we actually do in the field with some firsthand accounts uh, of our experiences out there. So I'm pretty stoked about that. But this also ties very well into the 1039 scholarship fund as well. And that's all going to be put out by Mystery Ranch. So opportunities to uh, be granted one of these grants, if that makes any sense, is going to be coming down the line here pretty soon. Uh, should be up and live this week at the end of this week. So we're going to make it happen. Let's tell the story and get people Get, let's get fire back into the front lines of everybody's mind. I think it's going to be cool, and I'm really looking forward to this whole project. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Lucas Mayfield, welcome to the Anchor Point. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. And we have round two with Mr. Lucas Mayfield. What's up, buddy? Uh, not a lot. Good morning. And thanks for having me once again. Yeah. How you feeling after last night? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Year, oh, years of practice. Years of practice. That was a pretty cool little place down there. Uh, was it Revelry? Yeah. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was good. Good, good ass food. That's for sure. Yep. Not bad. It was an enjoyable evening. Yeah, that's for sure. So for anybody that missed part one of this, cause this is kind of like a, a continuation of your first episode, give a little background on, on yourself. Um, again, I'm currently the fire program manager for mystery ranch backpacks and previous to taking this position, um, I worked for, uh, the United States forest service as a forestry technician, um, up to a supervisory forestry technician for 18 years, started on the salmon chalice in 2001, uh, moved down South to region, I guess, further South in region four, I bet as far as you can go, spent time in region three and most of my career was spent in region six. Um, my last 12 seasons, I served on, uh, interagency hotshot crews from a crew member, uh, and left as an assistant hotshot superintendent and had the fortunate ability my last season to, uh, be detailed as a, a hotshot superintendent. And that was pretty cool. Nice, man. So what was the hotshot life all, all about, man? I mean, if you're to give some sort of recommendations to anybody or like an experience saying like a real reality of hotshotting, what would it be? Uh, speaking of like getting onto a hotshot crew entry level. Yeah, sure. The whole thing. I mean, just like lessons learned that you had to learn the hard way. You know, the hard way show up in shape and ready to roll. Um, you're going to hike, you're going to run, but, uh, make sure you can do those things and set yourself up for success. Uh, hotshotting in general, it's the most gratifying and life-shaping thing that I have ever done and will ever do, you know, professionally and outside of being a father and getting married and those things, different level, but, uh, professionally hot shotting was, like I said, the most gratifying thing that I'll, I will have ever done. And as far as the life, I mean, you are sacrificing, you know, five to six months out of your year to create another family. Uh, which becomes, you know, your brothers and your sisters that you're looking out for on a daily basis and everything that that entails from, you know, 10% of the job's fun, the burn shows going direct, um, the hood rat stuff. Yeah. The excitement, wooey, you know, going fires and those high tempo operational shifts, but it's the other 90% that, uh, I would say make you a good crew, a bad crew, whatever, somewhere in the middle, um, you know, the mop up, the hurry up and wait, the PTs, the project work in the rain, all of that stuff is a majority of the job and the reality of it. Yeah. It's definitely not glorious or anything like that. Sitting on the side of a mountain in the middle of the desert or, you know, the forest mopping up for, you know, a ton of time. Yeah. Or cold trailing for, you know, five miles in a hundred plus degree heat in the <laughs> desert to say that a fire's out. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's a majority of it. And yeah. it's like I said, you got your fire family alongside you. You got, uh, I don't know there, you're not going to do anything more gratifying. 
Oh yeah. Dude, the mop up conversations. That's like one of my all time favorite things. It's just some so hilarious shit or yeah. Just introspect, you know, you yep. get a, a real good idea of who the people are around you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then if you're on a saw team, the relationship that you end up building with your saw partner, saw buddy is pretty eye opening, hilarious, and you could probably make a pretty decent movie out of it. <laughs> it means either going to be the most exciting movie ever or the funniest or the most boring. It's like pick one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to have to have something different in the middle to make it exciting. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, like I said, for 18 years and the last 12, um, in particular, I certainly spent more time with hot shots than any other group of humans, including my family in the world. Um, so uh, like I said, it's your family. Oh yeah. And that's another kind of drawback to this whole thing. That's a even more or less glorious, I guess you can say thing, uh, is that it becomes kind of your identity. I mean, you, like you're saying, man, you spend more time with your fire family than you do with your actual families at times. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, uh, was always part of at least, you know, when I was in a position to give those kind of talks, but during those, you know, within the first two days, part of the the speech was like, this is what you've signed up for, for the next six months. Um, and if you're not prepared to set everything else to the side, then you're not prepared to be on a hotshot crew. You know, I'm speaking like I would speak to them, but you know, for me personally, starting today, my wife and my daughter take a back seat to the 20 people that are standing in front of me right now. This is your fire family. The goals and objectives that are set forth, you know, through this program, through the super superintendent and the leadership, like this is it. Like you get a call, you're here um, and we're going to have fun and we're going to work our asses off. You're going to leave happy, healthy um, is the intent with, you know, the reality that worst case scenario, like people do die doing this. Um, and you know, just that, that is the reality of the job. Like, of course the intent is to bring everyone home happy, whole, uh, but shit happens. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's the unfortunate consequence of our job is it's, in, it's inherently dangerous at the end of the day. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. Like <laughs> there's unforeseen things that can happen out there. And it's, yeah, it, it happens, man. Yeah. And I, the one thing that I'll take to heart or always have taken to heart, um, a superintendent that I was able to work for and fortunate enough to work for in 2013 and 14, um, you know, he used to tell folks, he's like, you know what I realized? Cause I don't think anyone feels like they're necessarily prepared to take that next step, whether it's going from a crew member to a lead or a lead to a squatty, so on and so forth. And what this um, gentleman would say to us, he's like, you know what I've realized is that I can try absolutely anything operationally as long as I always know that I can walk you all out of here in a comfortable and organized manner. And that's something that I certainly took to heart and... I guess added to my personal operating procedures moving forward, like 
you've got to set yourself up for success. And to a certain extent, you are taking chances no matter what we do. But if the, I guess the end state is, is we can do it as long as we know we're walking out. Yeah. And that's the ultimate goal at the end of the day is to walk out of there with, you know, all your limbs and all your people. So, but yeah, it's, it's a hard thing too, but it also opens up a lot of doors because like in the previous episode, you were saying you've been a hotshot forever. And then it opened up doors. You come to realize that fire was not the only thing that you knew it, those skills that you learn out there on the line translated into what you do now. Yeah, for sure. And I think, uh, and I think other people have mentioned it on previous episodes that you've had, but the, you know, the, I guess, operational skills and the work ethic and the ability to lead by example, show initiative. When people ask for a volunteer, you raise your hand. Um, you know, especially that, you know, the duty, respect, integrity, I always like to add character and accountability. Those things are priceless and they, go past just being whatever it is. If you're on a hotshot crew or an engine module, you know, it, it all transfers to that next step in your life, whether it's, you know, people that go on to become doctors, lawyers, go to the ologist side of the, you know, land management agency, um, side of the world, whatever it is, the skills are priceless and valuable and, um, are applicable to anything you do in life, whether it's family or professionally. No, that's an absolute truth. And that's kind of how it led into your current job over here at mystery ranch. And you're the fire program manager and you have years of fire experience. So it was kind of like a natural fit for you to come over here and do this. Yeah. I mean, it's I'm, this fire line you know, with Dana Gleason and then with my predecessor, it, it was born from a firefighter and, you know, invented, co-collaborated, created with a firefighter. And I think it speaks to uh, the company's, I don't know what you'd want to call it, intelligence. And in, we've got a fire line and one of the most important things we can do is have someone that's assisting and running this program with the fire background to continue to keep it relevant and keep it as the, I'll, I'll say the dominant pack in the United States. And that's going to be hopefully expanding outward here too, as well. Yeah, we certainly have, um, I personally have, aspirations and uh, objectives, priorities to be able to not just serve, you know, the forestry technicians, supervisory forestry technicians, wildland firefighters, firefighters in the United States, but also be able to do that same thing internationally uh, with countries that are facing the same issues and uh, are doing the same job. Yeah. And that's another thing too, is all of this, we at mystery ranch, you guys have a product, right? You guys have arguably the best fire pack in the game. I mean, everybody's rocked a mystery ranch pack probably once in their life, at least it's an, it's a household name for us. Right. Yeah. But now you're turning that around and giving that back to the community as well. And that's what the episode today is all about is the backbone series and the 1039 uh, scholarship fund, which is freaking awesome. So the backbone series, 
run us down on that because I'm super stoked to be working with you guys <clears throat> on the Backbone series. But what is it truly about? So the Backbone series um, has been in my mind. I took this job in March of 2019, um, and some it's metamorphosized. But the the Backbone series itself, I guess, to start out. Um, it's a campaign to educate the public on the realities of this job. So we have a variety of focus areas that are targeted towards seasonal employees, permanent seasonal employees, full-time permanent employees. Um, and it'll open up to now be able to cross agency and, uh, cross agencies federally and locally state municipal county i'm hoping um but the idea is that we've come up with some focus areas for the 1039 employees the permanent seasonal permanent full-time uh, women in fire veterans in fire and we've got some writing prompts that will start to educate the public and just a couple examples you know, like what does it take to be a successful seasonal firefighter or what does it take to maintain a marriage throughout a fire season? Um, to truly, cause I don't think anyone understands that after you're laid off, that's almost when it's not almost when, but that's when the work begins to be ready for that next season uh, physical training wise, or whether it's taking classes, uh, traveling places to interview, get your resume ready, get that stuff submitted, start networking. Um, and for me, the biggest one was always the biggest two, I guess, were starting that PT program because you show up again, my experience is primarily hotshot related, but you show up on day one and probably some of the best shape you're going to be in. And then throughout that season, you slowly get in worse and worse shape. I mean, you're not eating great food. A lot of the time you're on the road a ton, you're not getting a lot of sleep. So your physical performance starts to drop. And then if you add on to that a lifetime or a career in this, smoke doesn't get out of your lungs or the particulate matter isn't leaving your lungs as quick as it once did or ever uh and it just starts to take a, a larger and larger toll on i mean i'm almost 41 like my knees hurt my shoulders hurt you look at and i didn't do this as long as a ton of guys i mean you look at some of the soups that have been 20 plus years of just straight hot shotting it's pretty amazing and just the toll that starts to take so you've got that getting ready for the next season and then reintegrating yourself back into being a normal ish person and trying to interact with folks that aren't in Nomex, uh, you know, be a father, be a husband, be present is, is difficult. No, absolutely. I mean, just even talking to like the general public, man, it's, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have the same story over and over again of what I do. Like you say someone to someone like, oh yeah, you're a wildland firefighter. Oh, so you work for Cal Fire? So I think that education component is very critical. 
Yeah, I took the tact on that to only introduce myself to new folks as a forestry technician. And that <laughs> typically sounded somewhat boring and diverted a lot of conversations um, I found to be useful. Um, and anyways, I guess back because I rambled there for a minute. But the Backbone series, again, it's a campaign to educate the public on the realities of a job as... I hate to keep beating this one into the the dirt, but a forestry technician, supervisory forestry technician, wildland firefighter or firefighter, if that is your title based off of respective agency. Um, the Backbone series itself, I was fortunate enough, the name, the title, I was fortunate enough, like I was saying, to be at a meeting um, with a couple hotshot superintendents, some smoke jumpers, uh, the president, I think, is the title of the FWFSA and a United States senator. Um, I kind of volunteered myself and was able to get a, a seat at the table. And the question came up is, what is a 1039 and do we even need them? And the response that was given was, they're the backbone of this agency. Everyone at this table was a 1039 at one point in time, I think one guy maybe still was um, one of the jumpers. But without them, you don't have an agency, you don't have an organization. They're a majority of the workforce that's putting in a majority of the work on the ground with the leadership of those folks in permanent positions or you know, the entry level permanent lead by example sort of positions. Um, so backbone of the agency, created the title of backbone series. Uh, when I, when the project was proposed, I don't know whose idea I'm not going to take credit for it. Cause I honestly don't remember, but it's like, well, if we can have this series, then what can we do to also give back to the people that have made mystery ranch successful? Um, so the thought was on my part, cause it will, you know, I had those issues or had to deal with those logistics was let's start a scholarship fund. Um, and I believe that the U S hotshot association has something similar right now. And so along with the backbone series and it's gone through, this has taken well over a year to get close to being able to, to run it. But, you know, as a part of, participating or providing a contribution to this series, you'll then be eligible for what we're looking at now is, you know, a baseline is we'll be offering thousand dollar scholarships for those contributors um, that are trying to further their career either inside or outside of fire. Because I think for a lot of folks, you know, fire isn't the end all be all. It's just that mechanism that provides enough financial um, gain to get whatever it is, that college education or that associates or get into the structure department and pay for your EMT or your paramedic, things like that. So that stuff's hard to come by. I know I paid for a lot of my own training when I was a seasonal and coming up. So I thought it was incredibly appropriate to be able to provide, you know, a thousand bucks to someone to go take an S class or throw it towards EMT training or, you know, use it for tuition or living expenses because you want to go get a master's or be a lawyer, a doctor, and you're 
smart enough to get out and enjoy, you know, the time you're in. Yeah, that's and that's a pretty cool thing to do for, you know, our the extension of the fire family coming from the private sector. But that's always one thing that's baffled me. And we discussed this on the previous episode is while the forestry technicians, I'm going to just stop calling them wildland firefighters because they're not firefighters on paper. But as a forestry technician who's fighting fire, you're oftentimes reliant on third party organizations like the Wildland Firefighter Foundation, Amanda Marsh's uh, Eric Marsh Foundation. U.S. Hotshot Association, all of these people, and even the private sector with Mystery Ranch, that's kind of unnerving. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's uh, a system. It's unfortunate that we're relying on nonprofits to support boots on the ground and GoFundMe sites anytime something happens, um, from a line of duty, death a fatality. Um, yeah, I don't, the, the system shouldn't be based off of GoFundMe sites to support our folks. Well, the system's kind of, it kind of sounds broken to me. And yep. There's a lot of opportunity to catch up, I guess, to the realities um, that the workforce is facing right now in regards to anything and everything from line of duty, non-line of duty deaths, um, cancer treatments, losing your home, uh, watching your barracks get burned up, you know, particularly this year, potentially your house. Um, Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what else to say. The system is not necessarily working in the firefighter forestry technicians favor federally. And again, you know, when we talked about this, it's not because people don't want it to. I just think there needs to be some outside push to make it uh, a reality for folks and People need to be educated on what it is that these folks do to do the job professionally in order to gain more public support and push behind, you know, some of the initiatives that are that are coming out to hopefully assist in making it a job and a career that is something that you can do for 20 years to 27 years or whatever, before you hit, you know, mandatory retirement at 57 or if you're eligible at 50, but there's a lot of folks that are leaving, um, and choosing to go another route well into their permanent careers because the toll it's taken is, can be, um, pretty negative. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, that's a whole, another point of this whole backbone series is to create and spur respectful discourse. It's not like intended to be like, oh, let's just go out and shit on the government and what they're doing. It's one of those things to implement change and have a voice heard because there's a lot of similar stories out there, man. Yeah. And I don't, it has nothing to do. It has nothing to do politically with anything. Um, I want to give people the opportunity to paint 
the true and accurate picture of a professional and dedicated workforce that puts a lot of time, energy, blood, sweat, tears, and sacrifice into doing it well. Yeah, man. And it's, it's, it's about time that we have an opportunity, a platform for that and the assistance and the support that's out there. It, it's huge. Like people want to be involved with this. They want their voices heard. Yep, absolutely. And it's just, I mean, it's hard not to, uh, whether, I don't know, like we've talked about, there's a huge gray area. Um, we've tried to go a number of different routes with the backbone series, um, with cooperation from a variety of agencies and there's, uh, you get a different answer. Um, I've met some amazing contacts that have assisted with this process, but in the end, you know, we're going forward with this project without, I guess, um, on paper cooperation from any agency, um, in particular, which has created an interesting set of sideboards that will be in place to protect the employees and make sure that folks can contribute without a fear of retribution or reprisal. Yeah. And that's a serious thing is that, that fear, that fear that's looming over your head. If you, uh, you know, contribute to something like this and your name's on it. If you John Hancock that shit, there's a legitimate chance that you could get fired, lose everything. Yeah. And I don't, I can't speak to that because I don't know the rules, regulations, and it seems like different people take it different ways. But I know for us, when this is live, um, you'll be able to hit, you know, the Backbone series landing page um, via Mystery Ranch. And we'll have the now, for a seasonal employee, what I know now is that once you're in non-pay status or technically you've been laid off and let go of your employment uh, after you've met your commitment for that five to six months. So as a seasonal employee, a 1039, uh, you will be able to contribute to the Backbone series and be eligible for the scholarship the contribution that you provide or the piece of writing, video, whatever this turns into, um, you can use your name, you can use your likeness. There can't be, there won't be any agency affiliation and the contribution needs to be submitted when you have been let go essentially. Um, and for any permanent seasonal or permanent full-time, all of the contributions will be they won't be edited in their content, but they will be edited to make sure that the contributions are anonymous and there's no agency affiliation or specific, whatever it is, crew, engine, region, uh, forest district that's identifiable or in the piece whatsoever with a very large, you know, disclaimer associated with it. And we won't all I can say is, is that on my end and on Mystery Ranch's end to make this thing work, um, everything will be done to protect the contributors and make this something that 
again, meets the intent of educating the public on a professional uh, workforce. So this whole operation, it's pretty much dedicated solely to the wildland firefighters out there, sorry, the forestry technicians out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the initial target. And I think that, you know, I've had a chance in this last um, year and a half that I've been here. It's been pretty cool um, to be able to interact with a variety of different um, fire resources that are non-federal, I would say, and have those titles of firefighter, wildland firefighter, forestry protection aid, and see how some of these other organizations are operating. Um, I've been incredibly impressed and I, you know, whether you're a contract resource that wants to get, um, a step ahead, then I think the way that this is set up now, like we'll open it up to, um, not only across federal agencies, but, uh, we will also be opening it up to, uh, Canada and Canadian participants. Um, cause I've had quite a bit of outreach and some pretty good discussions with some folks up there that are. I mean, in reality, they're facing a lot of the same issues um, as far as recognition and and how people think of fire resources as, you know, I hate to say it, but, and I know this isn't the case maybe from the feeling on the ground is that you're expendable. It's not a professional workforce and everyone can be replaced, which to a certain extent, it's true. It's not like me leaving the forest service caused my last crew to skip a beat or not be there, you know, like there's always someone, well, I won't say there's always, but there's typically someone to fill your shoes and make sure that the, the wheels keep turning. Um, but what I found is that a lot of the similar issues that we've been talking about, they don't just happen in the U S um, they happen in Canada, they happen in South Africa, they happen in uh, a variety of locations, countries, um, that have a workforce that's a professional workforce, but not looked as such. That's one thing that has always bothered me too, is that we're kind of looked down on as an unskilled labor force at the end of the day. And I, I really truly hope that this backbone series will kind of open people's eyes to that fact. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't, <clears throat> yes, absolutely. I agree. Um, fighting fire well, or being a practitioner of prescribed fire. Again, it's an art. I mean, you look at, uh, you look at anyone that can pull off a burn operation with single digit RHs, um, and the right, I guess, weather conditions and come out of that burn operation and the, at the end of the day, it looks like you just performed a prescribed fire. Like that's being a steward of the land and an artist and a practitioner of fire that uh, takes a hell of a lot of skill. Oh yeah, like you're saying in the previous episode, man, it's it's definitely an art. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an art from whatever it is, whether you're going direct. I mean, there's an art to swinging a tool. Uh, that you, you know, it's not just beating the ground. You need 20 folks or five folks, whatever your module type is, uh, to do that well and efficiently and, and always move forward. Every single part of that machine is 
moving and swinging with a purpose, um, depending on the person setting the line, the Sawyer's cutting it, the Swampers moving it, uh, the coordination and I don't know, it's like a little dance. And then you've got the dig behind them with that, that lead piece setting it, uh, the last person ensuring that it's not more or less than the spec given that 24 inches is 24 inches to the person with the rake that's doing final cleanup to just that progression of the tools of you got the person setting it. And then what, you know, every one of those swings after that is meant to minimize work and maximize efficiency. And it's, it's a beautiful thing when done well. And I'm, you know, it's the same with, uh, quality engine modules, um, regardless of agency or where you're at, like watching folks utilize hose packs, the way that they're putting in the hose lays, the, you know, the, the, again, it's, you're maximizing efficiency and trying to work as smart as possible to minimize how hard the job is and to be able to do it day in and day out, uh, and keep people, you know, for the most part, happy, healthy, having fun and, and making forward progress. Oh, absolutely, man. It's like a well-oiled machine. It's, it's very orchestrated. And those little things that improve efficiency, it definitely, you know, makes your life a hell of a lot easier. And for people to not recognize that coordination, that mentality, that efficiency, that student of fire, because you're constantly learning. If you're not learning something new about fire every day, well, you're probably not doing it right. You probably need to get out of the game for people to understand this and see this. I think it's going to foster a lot of, uh, garner a lot of support from the general public because nobody knows what we do. We show up to smoke. They see the hotshot buggies. They see the engine go and then they disappear two weeks later if the fire's out, unless it's like a campaign fire or something like that, but people forget about it. And I guarantee you that's, this take this fire season for example and we've had lots of destruction we've had a wildfire season this year just a crazy wildfire season come december people are going to forget about that and they're also going to forget about the long-term consequences with that like the flooding the landslides the reforestation all of that stuff come december people will probably forget about it and i really truly hope that the backbone series will keep relevancy throughout these these off-season months Yeah. I mean, my goal and intent is that, you know, the backbone series and it's turned into the backbone scholarship, um, for a title, but I I hope that this is, you know, a living campaign that isn't going to be from, you know, release date of mid October, 2020 ending in October, 2021, like in my my desire is to see this build, grow, um, start to add, you know, what, whatever it is, whether it's cooperators or people that are willing to match funds, um, in order to assist in building people up, educating the public, um, adding to the momentum or, I guess the push for more all encompassing support to make this professional workforce feel like they truly are supported 
um, and cared for. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's the thing too, is like, this is a many headed, it's almost like a Hydra, this whole operation here. I mean, you've got a lot of support from a lot of people. So even some surprising people, I mean, you've got offshoots like grassroots, which is not affiliated with mystery ranch, but we work together on that. You've got a whole bunch of other people. You got, like I said, the foundations that are out there, you've got the U S hotshot association, everybody's tuned in and keyed up to make this thing successful and get that outreach that we need. Yeah. I, I completely uh, believe that from, you know, the toughest thing I think is it's been difficult. Like I found there's been a couple folks that I've worked with over the years from in particular, Oh seven to now that, you know, we spent 10 years trying to send our letters to senators and, um, I guess try to subtly or secretly ask for help. Um, but it was, I found that it's always been difficult to get folks in mass to want to advocate for themselves because you know, we've said it time and again, like the population is built in large part by folks that don't want credit for what they do. Um, you know, the term quiet professional is, is certainly something that applies to the, the folks that, uh, are putting Nomex on and suppressing fire in one way or another. Um, and so, and you're burnt out at the end of the year. So i I've never had a lot of luck when I was inside the system in getting people to advocate for themselves. Um, so hopefully some of these outward facing campaigns can make that advocacy easier for people to at least make their voices heard. And you've seen stuff come uh, across the boards internally that is kind of, you know, you would have never seen that before. Like, um, the Truckee hotshot, um, assistant soup letter, uh, that Kevin wrote the transitional resolution that came out of R five, some of the internal endeavors that are taking place, the stuff that was done with the sleep study, uh, by a couple different hotshot crews that's gained, uh, you know, national funding, the, there's a lot going on internally and now the external push needs to at least be there to maintain or advocate for change. Just keep the ball rolling essentially. Yeah. And I think, you know, whether it's politically correct of me to say, or people are told not to contribute to this, like, I, I don't know. I, I hope not, but, um, I think that people need to know the, the American public, the taxpayers need to know what these folks are and see a clear picture of, like I said, what it takes to be a successful seasonal employee, the steps that it takes to go from a seasonal to a permanent seasonal to a permanent full time, the time and dedication that it takes for a seasonal employee that wants to become a jumper and how much time and effort that that takes in the off season to make sure you show up ready to have your ass handed to you for five weeks or 
show up to a hotshot base for the first time and set yourself up to make a saw team or make it through a season with your relationship intact. Um, the other big one that I see, and I've got, uh, I don't know that I'll be able to use it anymore, but I did have a contributor write very eloquently about what it took to get through, um, an injury in the off season to ensure they could come back to the crew the following season. Now that was all on that individual's own time, own fruition. You know, luckily they had insurance and, um, had some financial assistance to do it. But even that stuff, like you blow a knee out, like you blow a knee out in July and you want to be back by that next March, April, May. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible what folks do to make sure they can get back to, you know, it, it is, like I said, it's the most gratifying job in the world with the best folks. And it, it certainly becomes an addiction. So people, people are giving up a lot to do a lot. Yeah. But this is like a wildly unique job. I mean, you're going to places doing the most fun stuff. You're working hard and you develop these relationships in places that are untouched by humanity. Essentially, there's no job like this. And there's that adage out there that I see all the time. We do it for the sunsets. I mean, how many, how cliche is that? I hate to say it, but I mean, it's the truth at the end of the day, we don't do it for money. We don't do it for benefits. We do it for the sunsets. Yeah, I'll agree and disagree. Like those things are beautiful and they're awesome. Um, but you're also, there's the fact that you're pushing, you know, you're making hay while the sun shines and you're trying to stack up as much cash as humanly possible in six months. Uh, and yes, the sunsets, the sunrises, the goofy ass things that take place on a fire line or in a spike camp or wherever are incredible. The stupid bets, the, I mean, <laughs> the flips. <laughs> Yeah. You name it. Like there's nothing better, but then at the end of the day, like you better be able to go home and support yourself. And it's, it's getting increasingly harder. Yeah. And I just don't, I mean, we've talked about this extensively and it's a bit of a soapbox for me, but just that, that evolution, like I did it for the sunsets, the dirt in my teeth and a dirty ass face. And cause I wanted to act like a barbarian <laughs> until I finally realized that that was a career path that I was going to dedicate myself to and become a permanent employee and try to move up the chain because just being a barbarian on a hillside was no longer gratifying. Like I wanted to be a leader. Um, I wanted to be the one making decisions because I mean, frankly, and I think it's just natural progression at some point in time. And it's usually the key that you need to move up or move on is you think you can do your boss's job better than they can. And, you know, I made that decision at, at 27, like, this is it, this is what I'm doing. Um, and you keep looking for that next challenge. And then as you get beyond your gorilla stage and you're in this leadership stage and then, you know, you're older. So what happens a lot, you know, you get married, you buy a house, you've got sunsets, don't pay a mortgage, um, overtime and hazard pay does. 
you've got, uh, you know, you've gotten married now you've got a kid and you're in your mid thirties. So you're just adding to that family and finances, which to me were my two biggest stressors were family and finances, my ability to take care of them, um, or assist it's a team, but in taking care of them, meeting my monetary objectives, which was, you know, a, a car payment, a mortgage now, and all of that stuff wasn't based off of a base wage. It's based off of 800 hours of overtime and you keep moving up the chain and moving on. And it's like, man, so you've gone from guerrilla stage to like new leadership stage to now you're looking at a permanent full-time job. And you know, the reality of that is another thing that people need to be aware of because you're not just gone for fire season anymore. You've got operations meetings. Are you part of a teaching cadre? Like there's a week or do you need to take classes? There's a week. Do you need to go to centralized hiring? There's a week to two weeks. Are you doing temp and perm? Double that. Um, then go to the next operations meeting. So in reality, you're not just gone six months, you're gone up to two months on top of that during the winter while you're also trying to prepare, it takes that full off season as well to prepare for those resources to come back on for you to be able to receive them and go through the steps all over again. Like it is absolutely amazing what those permanent full-time employees accomplish in a short period of time to ensure that they're ready for, you know, now 2021 as we are still in the middle of the 2020 fire season, but like people are already thinking about next year. Apps are already in. People are already looking at hiring. Um, I don't know how many people have called. Like I'm already getting reference checks. <laughs> you know, it's funny, man. It's, I'm even, I'm a year out of the game and I'm still getting reference checks. From yeah. people, like random people that I've worked with with like, I don't know, five years ago. Yeah. It's crazy. So it never really leaves you though. No, no. I mean, it's never going to leave you. I mean. I don't know. I'll always, well, I would always like to think of myself as a hotshot, whether that's a reality or not. Um, yeah, that stuff doesn't leave you. And the relationships that you build foster, like the mentoring that takes place, um, the teaching, the good memories, the bad memories, the humbling moments, like it has a profound effect on, uh, you know, I don't know the outside of some, specific family members, the biggest influences on my life have been forestry technicians and supervisory forestry technicians and the people that have gone above and beyond to get me to where I am right now. Maybe it's not a great place and you can judge that on your own, but, um, a lot of people put a lot of time and effort into seeing people succeed. Yeah. That whole mentorship thing. That's I'll, there's a couple, there's a handful of people that I'll never, ever, ever forget with the lessons that I've learned from them. One of them, which, I mean, even back to when I was like learning how to run an engine, a dude named Chris Byrne, man, that guy taught me everything I need to know. And to this day, man, I was just, I got to hand it to that guy for teaching me how to run an engine. It was great, man. Yeah. I could spend an episode just spouting names off of the people that have shaped me as a human and taught me how to be operationally savvy, a good leader, a bad leader for that 
matter. I mean, you get as many bad lessons. I guess you learn as much of what not to do as what to do by just simply observing whether it's people internal to the module you're working on or external. Yeah. And I can go on forever too. I mean, I can go down the list of Joe Bronson. I got Seth Avery, Eric Harriman, yeah. a bunch of people from the Rogue Siskiyou. You got Neil, you got Bubba. I mean, I could go on forever. And these people have made me the person that I am today, you know, even though I'm far removed from fire at this point, it's still, they, they added that change, that, that, that influence on my life. And it's, it's like we said earlier in the other episode, the fire thing becomes your identity. Yeah, for sure. Um, It becomes your identity and it becomes in, you know, as there's a reason that the term fire family exists because their family, like I will uh, last week I had, you know, a fire buddy that worked roughly for me, I guess, but you know, come in and stay at my house. I've got uh, another kid that worked for me on my last crew that's coming to drop stuff off in my garage for hunting season in a month. I've got another buddy that'll be coming to stay here. Like my door's open and we've got a guest room. If I'm around, I don't care who you are. Come on in. Yeah. And I've offered that same thing to a lot of people that I've known throughout the years. It's like, Hey man, I'm passing through Reno. Oh, let's go get a beer. Yeah. Need a place to stay. Yeah. And that's the great part is people actually take you up on it, Mm -hmm. whether you like it or not sometimes, but, uh, (laughs) it's, I mean, it's fantastic. Like I don't, it's a, I don't know, every two months someone's coming by or through and, uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's your family. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's crazy though, because it's like, even if I just recently got married and, uh, I hit up a couple of my homies from like Josh and Kyle, they traveled quite a considerable distance just to be at the wedding, man. Oh, for sure. My favorite wedding photo was, uh, I got married the week. I got married in 2012. We had a later start date, uh, the crew I was on, um, at the time. And I got married the weekend before we finished critical. And, uh, yeah, man, the, the whole crew is there with the, the red shirts on underneath their dress shirts and <laughs> my favorite picture, you know, all of them took those off and, uh, there was a lot of, uh, belt buckles and red shirts in one particular photo that was, you know, there's probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them. It was awesome. I got married by fricking my first squatty. He was the <laughs> officiating official at my wedding was, uh, my first squatty who we, you know, later on kind of paralleled careers and became peers for a one pretty darn fun summer, uh, as assistant, uh, soups or captains on a crew. And yeah, what, uh, that doesn't exist a lot of places. It's amazing. Yeah. That's one thing that's wildly unique about <laughs> us as, as wildland firefighters, sorry, forestry technicians. It's that family, man. It's like, we're, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I think that's another thing that the backbone series does is it highlights that it keeps us more together. It, it kind of highlights the fact that we are family at the end of the day as well, but also kind of not necessarily like a whistleblower kind of thing, but it tells the true hardships of this job. Yeah. Strictly an educational piece to allow people a platform to paint an accurate picture of what their reality actually is. And 
that's why we've split it up, you know, with different focus areas and requests because different people have different realities and some of it is hard to fathom. Like some of the stuff that I've heard from my, you know, female friends that have worked for me, I've worked alongside, uh, you know, the shit that they have to put up with is totally different than what I have to put up with or that transition, um, you know, in particular, I think is, and I don't know, I can't speak to it, but I want to allow people to be able to speak to it, you know, like what it, what it's like being a veteran in fire and coming from having, I don't know the, you know, true public service of enlisting in any branch of the military and being, you know, all of that and then coming and deciding that you want to also serve the public as A, B, or C, forestry tech, firefighter, wildland, choose your term. But that's amazing. And I don't, you know, a lot of my buddies were folks that had transferred or switched, gotten out of the military, come into fire. And uh, that's a story that the, you know, folks need to be aware of and uh, educated on and um, everything else in between. Like, like I said, I want, uh, we want to be able to educate the public on the realities of the job, regardless of time in position um, or background, just good, bad or indifferent. Yeah. And that there, there won't be, I'm not looking and it won't be allowed or accepted. It won't be published. Um, we're not looking to put a black mark on anyone's face in any way, shape or form. As I said, that stuff, you know, will be part of the sideboards when they come out. It, this is just an honest look from an individual's perspective of what their reality is of being a professional wildland firefighter with a title of that's it. There's nothing. We're not going Democrat Republican agency, this agency, that who are you? What does that look like and what does it take? I mean, and not only are you educating the public on it, but you're probably inspiring some, you know, younger folks that are like, oh man, that sounds cool. Like, I want to give that a shot. I need to do this. I mean, for me, like we talked about seeing a, a hotshot crew for the first time in 2001 was nothing ever motivated me to not be a fat, lazy pile of shit (laughs) until fire and fire leadership and wanting to be on a crew and seeing folks drop out of airplanes or rappel out of helicopters. Like uh, that is what, you know, to, I guess it had some negative consequences, but it also motivated me, like I said, to not be a fat, lazy pile. No, man, that's a, a quality leadership attribute right there, man. I mean, you, the lead by example thing, just seeing something inspiring, like, you know, first time you ever see a load of jumpers get kicked out the door or paracargo or the repellers or a hotshot crew just bulldozing line. I mean, that 
that shit's wild, man. I remember when I first got into it, I had no freaking clue what I was getting into. And then it started clicking. And it's like, wow, I just want to keep pursuing and building and becoming that student of fire. Yeah. There's like you said, whether it's uh jumpers getting dropped off, repellers, the bucket, like all the cool stuff that people think it is, but the hashtag hero shit. Yeah. And then, but man, like watching the, like that first crew I ever saw. And I'll, I remember it to this day sitting at, uh, a guard station based out of North Fork, Idaho, that, uh, doesn't house a repel crew anymore, but you know, sitting there and watch those buggies roll up. Like I had no idea what they were, but watching the crew get out, like line up, uh, you know, the, the soup go to tie in with, you know, report to check in, da da da. But then watch that crew line out and just start unloading their shit like clockwork. You got people going to get water, refill this, do that, find the restroom, resupply. Like it, it was rad, and it's still rad. Like I love watching a line of hot shots walk. <laughs> That's the thing too. Is like a, a lot of the public doesn't get to see that. You know, it's out of sight, out of mind. You know, you see smoke in the distance, and they don't understand or see what actually happens on the line. No. And I mean, the attention to detail that exists, I mean, we would practice how to get in and out of a crew carrier. Like, okay, when we park, the backer gets out, the backer backs, chocks the vehicle, stands to the side, Sawyer's exit, go about getting their stuff crew ready. Then the dig exits. And then the backer gets back in the rig, grabs his stuff, exits again, proceeds to start locking. I mean, it's just, that's just getting in and out of a truck that exists for every operational aspect of your day from wake up to you going to bed. I mean, the little things matter, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And, you know, making it look easy is a lot of work. It's a lot of repetition and practice. Oh man. And that, uh, and that's just for hotshot and think about what they're doing. And I never repelled or jumped or anything like that, but the, the checks and the complications and, you know, consequences for messing that up is it's pretty amazing. The amount of cargo that you can move from a well-run helibase or the fact that those dudes are loading loaded in a plane in X amount of minutes in the air and the art of getting people safely on the ground. Um, and then going about business is uh, all that stuff. It's I, yeah. People don't, people don't get it or I wouldn't say they don't get it, but they're just ill informed on it. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, the majority of wildland firefighting outfits out there, whether it's state, county, fed, whatever, private contractor, for the most part, it's a paramilitary organization. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think the, I heard somewhere, I'm not sure, I'm sure someone will fact check me on this one, but the United States Forest Service has the largest organized firefighting force in the world. I know that's a statement that's come out of the former, um, director in fire and aviation. Um, yeah, fact checked away. I don't know, but I would find it hard not to believe. I mean, you got upwards of 10,000 folks that are, uh, 
you know, their primary duty is fire suppression in the PD. Yeah. But we're not considered firefighters. True. Not on paper. True. And yeah, uh, you know, that's a, a whole ball of wax that I know that we have uh, a lot of people can say what you want about being a technician versus non-technician, but whatever the title is, there's got to be a solution in there. And I know there is to create an, a new box that clearly defines um, folks on the ground as first responders and supports them as such. Oh yeah. And there's like a, there's, there is a lot of, I'm going to be using a pun here, but grassroots efforts, one of which being the grassroots wildland firefighters, there's a lot of efforts out there to point this in a direction that makes more sense. Yep. For sure. And I don't like what, I, uh, I don't know. We talked about this in the last episode and I'm not going to keep, well, I will keep beating a dead horse outside of this episode, but no matter what you call it, at the end of the day, you got to be able to go home and, and feel good about it and be able to pay your mortgage, pay your rent, yeah. pay your truck bill. Cause nobody ever told you it's not that smart to buy a $50,000 truck after a $20,000 season. <laughs> Hashtag hotshot rich. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there, man. I totally understand it. And you get, you, you fall into these traps though. And that's one thing that I really appreciate about this ambition, this ambitious project that we got going on here with backbone series is it's, kind of teaching some lessons learned to not just the public, but also other peers in the field, other firefighters. Yeah, for sure. Um, like you said, what, I mean, it's a recruitment tool in the large part, like it's cool as hell. And, uh, you know, most of what I say is cause I've screwed it up. Like I still screw it up. Like I was that dude that came back every summer for a while being like, Oh my God, I need a fire check right now. Like, can we please get out the door? I'm so broke, uh, you know, 2008, I don't even know if I could fill my truck up with a full tank of gas until like August. It's like $5 here, $10 here, not going anywhere, like slow, slow start, no fire checks. And just, we were just broke. It was a, a hilarious joke. <laughs> it's kind of sad, but I mean, yeah, 1495 an hour for GS4, I believe is the going rate right now. and. That's, you know, that's laughable to assume that amount of risk. I mean, people die in this line, of, in the line of duty, the unforeseen consequences of that too, like the family stress and all that other stuff. I mean, it takes a toll on you eventually. And we have a huge problem with suicide in this, in our community. One of the fastest, and I, let me rephrase that. One of the, per I guess you could say per capita, we have a very high occurrence of suicide. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just all these things compound. Yeah. And I don't like, I know that we see numbers and some of them been quoted on the, you know, Nelda's got some great information on that. Um, there's been some stuff quoted on the change.org uh, petition that came out from Nelda. Um, and I think it's more than that. Like, you know, it's another thing, like we haven't kept up with the support mechanisms for folks, but you know, suicides is certainly something that needs to be addressed, mental health, and really getting down to what those numbers are, because some of that stuff happens when you're not in pay status, you know, and you're not employed. So who knows about it? Who's reporting it? Does it even happen? 
years later, I mean, there's, yeah, you got that. The other ones are to me, like I would love to see something that can start putting a number towards, cause I know I teeter to this day on it and did, but it's like the alcoholism rates, alcohol consumption rates, uh, divorce rates, all of those things. I know from personal experience seem to happen at a much larger percentage compared to the quote unquote, you know, general population. Um, but I, I don't know what those numbers are and I'm not sure if people are working on it, but that, that and the inability to properly advise folks or point them in the right direction was a a pretty large hurdle that became more and more common towards the end of my career, whether it was dealing with my own, you know, demons, um, and my desire to self-medicate after a role, after a season, uh, with a bottle of whiskey and some cheap beer or whatever that was, and still try to be a, you know, functional human sort of kind of, um, until that next role, you know, and, yeah. Like what, what does that look like? Cause I know from my perspective inside looking inside or now outside looking inside, like it, it's not good and we need a better mechanism to support, um, folks. Oh, absolutely. It seems like, I don't know, you have obviously way more experience than me in the realm of fire. You've seen quite a bit of the, the society, the, the, the culture, the change in the paradigm shift in culture as well. And I don't know, at least something that I've experienced and I've seen is that we becoming, we're becoming more and more and more and more reactionary every year instead of some sort of preventative measures that we could be taking for addressing these concerns. You know, we're just increasingly reactionary. I don't know if that's just our culture, if that's just ingrained with us because we're responding to emergencies. We're not preventing them. We're responding. So I don't know if we just get stuck in some sort of thought trap to where that's how we react to everything. Yeah. And I'd be curious, you know, like even your episode with Fernando or like the process or the, I guess, evolution of how um, the structure side has dealt with it. Cause I think a lot of it, like you said, we're quiet professionals. You go home and you kind of bottle stuff up and, um, you just hold that stuff inside to where it starts to harm, you know, you or your loved ones or your job, your career. Uh, and I would, I'd like to know how that started to change or has changed on the city county municipal side where, uh, peer support, and mental health like that stuff seems to be a pretty common they've got the tools to address it and the people in place to address that stuff Uh, obviously you know i can't say all but i know the folks that i have talked to um in particular on the west coast uh in the southern portion of that state like they have some pretty robust resources available And I would love to, like, when did they start talking about it or recognizing it? And then how did they go about addressing it and building, you know, that village of um, support versus isolation and 
you know, making those changes. Cause I think it's, you know, extremely similar. We're just a bit behind on the wildland side of things in talking about it, dealing with it and having the fundal um, funding and people to address it. And I've said this time and again, like people want to make those changes internally, but there also has to be the funding available to, to actually do it. And to me, that's where the public support comes into play with advocating for at the end of the day, you can call it whatever you want. It doesn't matter to me. I don't own any of what is being advocated for. Um, but it's gotta be built in some way, shape or form. And there are organizations that have done it. And I think probably been in similar places that, uh, we are and, and getting public congressional support to provide the funding, to allow the people internally to make the changes in an appropriate manner is, um, the most important thing to me that there is. Yeah. And one of those recurring themes that we keep talking about <clears throat> during this whole grassroots, the, uh, policy proposal, the backbone series, the 1039 is a lot of it revolves around money. And I just kind of want to make it clear that you can't throw money at a problem that we have, but that funding thing to get people pay equality, to get better benefits, these mental health systems, these retirement benefits, our retirement is shit. I'm yeah. Just, I mean, it, it can be good if you move up far enough with your top three, but for your assistant soup or if you retired as a soup, I mean, it's not going to be that great, but yeah, I mean, does the money thing, man, it's, you need to properly fund this. And that's why a central idea behind this is finding the appropriations that are needed to make this shit work and work efficiently and protect the public. And it is a benefit of that. It's going to protect the taxpayer at the end of the day, because now we're going to have a more resilient, more robust workforce. Yeah. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. If we can, um, you know, if you can afford to pay for it and maybe I'm completely wrong and anyone and everyone call me a dumbass or call me out. But to me, if there is a viable and realistic way to separate, you know, fuels and fire or land management and fire to where you've got this population of folks that are the best in the world at organizing chaos. And when the weather windows are there, you know, suppress and contain wildfires. Um, if they can do that and concentrate on that, and then there's a mechanism to bring that equal amount of folks in to concentrate on the land management side. This is where, like I said, call me out if I'm a dumbass. at some point in time, if you've got the suppression resources and you have the folks that are truly managing the land and bringing it back to some sort of proper equilibrium, that need for this robust suppression resource is going to start to drop and the management is going to get to potentially something that's a little bit closer to normal and needs less maintenance and less reactionary forces 
and then probably less, you know, proactive resources because it's starting to do what we want it to talking about, you know, any number of things, historic fire regimes, um, yada, yada. And I, I think that's probably, a 50 plus year process at this point. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, <laughs> anyone, but that, that's how I see it. I see stuff pretty simple. Um, not a fan of math. I always like to say that numbers and I have been in a fight since third grade and they always win. So <laughs> I'm not intelligent. I am just nothing but a ditch digger, former forestry technician that has fell into my current position. Well, that's the thing though, is like you have the experience, you have the inside knowledge. You've been there, you've done that, you've walked a mile in those shoes. Have some people done it longer? Yeah. Some people done it shorter? Yeah, of course. But at the end of the day, if this is what it, it seems to be a consistent message, not only yours, but everybody else's. And you're you and the organization, Mystery Ranch, you guys are like the only voices out there trying to give a shit. I mean, this there needs to be a a huge level of support from everybody out there. Cause at the end of the day, it's going to take an army to fix this and we keep bitching about money. Well, we need to find it and make it work, make it work efficiently. Cause it's, I mean, it ultimately at the end of the day too, is the taxpayer is paying for this, but what's, what's more expensive, horrendous damage, millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of damage to natural resources or some preventative and proactive things where you have a fixed and known cost. Right. Something you can, something you can budget versus, um, and I don't, I heard someone, I was at a a fire conference last, uh, almost a year ago, maybe a year ago. Um, and they had, um, an individual speak, with an economics background and I'm not smart enough to give you all the nitty gritty, but you know, the cost associated after that incident management team's gone and there's no smoke in the air, but uh, you know, look at this year with the communities or paradise or any number of things, just the Bridger foothills fire that happened here locally outside of Bozeman. I mean, that's 30 homes that were, uh, you know, burnt. And then the, the ripple effects and true cost of rebuilding communities, towns, watersheds, that goes into the billions of dollars and lasts for decades. From a natural resource perspective to community, community infrastructure, it's never caught on the national sit report when it shows, you know, $4.5 million spent on this. Well, the ripple effects of that 4.5 million spent to put the fire out keeps growing exponentially as you are from a taxpayer at some point in time throughout the next decade, you're paying to get that back into some sort of natural state. I found that incredibly interesting and something that I had never thought about, um, as a, on the ground operator is like, it's billions of dollars that it takes to, to do all the work that's needed after the fact. And there's no FEMA money 
There's no forest service suppression budget. Um, that stuff's done. Everybody's left. That's, that's on the people that still have, a uh, a tie to that, that geographic area. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing too, is like fire, it crosses ideologies, political ideologies. It doesn't care whether you're this, that, or the other, it crosses all boundaries and it affects everybody at the end of the day, Yeah, either by smoke or by, you know, destroyed landscapes, wreck, hunting, fishing, natural resources. It affects all of us. I mean, you can, and I, I really appreciate the fact that the backbone series is doing this without political connotations to it because it truly crosses everything. It touches everybody. Yeah, no, it does. And, um, yeah, the backbone series is nothing more than like we've said, the opportunity to give people a platform to articulate their reality of being a professional. Um, and then, you know, in turn, allow us to do something and give something back to those folks, um, and assist in a small way to see them continue that professional career in fire or go on to something bigger, better, and use those skills that they learned in fire to become whatever it is you want to become in life. No, that's one hell of a, that's like your Everest pretty much. That's one hell of an ambitious project. And, uh, yeah, it's, I'm excited to be working on it, man. It's, uh, it's one of a kind. And I think it's the time is needed for something like this to come out. Yeah. I, th I think it'll be, uh, I don't, like I said, I hope it's a living campaign and lasts as long as, uh, I'm around and I can continue to get buy-in from, uh, from mystery ranch to continue it, uh, is, is the goal. And, uh, that's my intent. Um, so yeah, they've been happy enough to figure out a, you know, a potential, potential funding vehicle, which will be a couple different packs specific to the backbone series and 10% of proceeds will go to funding, um, the scholarship. And then hopefully, like I said, that's just a, a cycle that continues, um, within mystery ranch and specifically for fire folks. So when is this whole thing going to start launching? I mean, do you have timelines yet or? You know, I'm honestly, I think we have, we've got the sideboards, we've got the, the bags, um, initial contributors to a certain extent that's kind of gone through. I do have initial contributors. Um, some of them I won't be able to use due to complications within this entire process. Like I said, I've been working uh, with folks, certainly not solo, um, on this for over a year now. And we've hit a lot of roadblock snags to try to figure out how to do it in the most professional manner possible while protecting folks that potentially contribute. Um, so we've got enough to get it going open. Uh, we should have the landing page for it here in the next couple of weeks. And Hopefully it's going, you know, by November and mystery ranch is putting up X amount of dollars to start this thing off before the bags are available for purchase. So we'll be able to come out of the gates with scholarships ready to distribute. 
Um, and we still need to finalize what that matrix looks like of how to choose, you know, winning contributors and, and then really ground truth and verify that we're good with putting those up publicly. And even if that's something that never becomes a reality, because I'm concerned that it could harm that contributor, the scholarships will still be going out. It's that's, that's the intent. It's, if it's not worth the risk, um, to publish anything at all, but with the sideboards we've created, we feel that, you know, person A is, uh, a winning individual, then the scholarships are still going out, whether you see it online or not. And obviously I really hope that's possible in a reality because we want to educate the public on this professional workforce. It needs to be done too. That's the thing is, but it is kind of another recurring theme is people don't know. So right. it's now your, your, uh, I guess mission to get it done and take it. Yeah. Take it and where it goes. But so where can we get a hold of you for questions, man? Uh, same as before you can hit me up, um, contact mystery ranch directly. It'll get routed to me and you're more than happy to use uh, my work email l u c a s at mystery ranch usa.com um pretty responsive with the emails um and if you want to call my cell phone for freaking anything you want whether it's to call me a dumbass or say you need help with something totally outside of any of this here comes the hate mail <laughs> yeah 9718320212 so Hopefully I don't have to change my number, uh, within a year because of this, but, uh, that's where I'm at. Like I said, again, you know, the, the backbone series is nothing but, uh, an educational platform to show folks who, what, where, and why, um, it's got nothing to do with politics or agency affiliation, any of that. It's just education. Uh, it's a standalone project to educate the public. Um, yeah. And my involvement and other efforts are my involvement strictly. Hell yeah, man. Well, it's one hell of an ambition. So at the end of the show, always uh, like to give you the opportunity to give a shout out to a homie hero mentor. I know you got some on the other episode, but you got anything new for us? I'll stick this one. You know, obviously uh, my wife, uh, my daughter, uh, my family, uh, hopefully you know who you are. I won't name you, but the uh, fire family specific, uh, Terry Garner, uh, you saved my ass multiple times, uh, Joe Arnold, Gilmore Scott, um, on the Manti. And then, uh, to my hotshot, uh, family, I'd certainly hope you know who you are and yeah, I love you all. And if you ever need anything, you know, where I'm at. Oh yeah. Well, Luke, thanks for being on the show, man. And thanks for, uh, being so gracious and hosting this whole event over at Mystery Ranch here in Bozeman, man. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Thanks a ton for having me and, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Oh yeah. Well, Take care, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show. Later. And boom, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with our good friend, Lucas Mayfield. Luke, dude, thank you so much for having me up there uh, in a good old Bozeman and showing me the ropes with uh, everything that goes down at Mystery Ranch. It's one hell of an endeavor out there, and it's it's pretty cool. 
I had a great time. Yeah. And uh, anyways, so the Backbone series is coming down the line here and that should be live uh, this week. And we're also accepting applications to write for this Backbone series. And that's going to be tied into the 1039 scholarship program. So like I said, end of this week, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and keep your eyes out for the Backbone series. And you could be a contributor. You have the opportunity to win one of these grants as well. So Luke, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Definitely appreciate it, man. We got a special shout out to our sponsors. We got Manscaped. They make, obviously, one of the, <laughs> probably one of the best gifts, actually, you could probably give to one of your significant others or just a friend as a dad gift. It's it's pretty cool. And it's, uh, yeah, it's functional. We got Mystery Ranch, who uh, put on this whole thing. They are the chief supporter of this entire podcast, which I'm definitely, definitely thankful for. Thank you guys. We got the Smoky Generation. Bethany's got a kick-ass organization going on over there. And uh, yeah, keep it up because some of these things are pretty damn cool. Go over to www.the... Let's try that again. <laughs> Go over to www.wildfireexperience.org. I almost messed that up again. And check it out. We also got the Ass Movement. And you can get one of your very own turd trowels over there at thefirewild.com. Check out the ass movement. And oh yeah, you get 10% off your order if you use code anchorpointass10. All one word. So go check that out. And last but not least, we've got Hotshot Brewery, purveyors of the finest damn coffee on this side of the United States. So go over to www.hotshotbrewery.com and check them out. Anyways, you guys know the drill. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Stay safe, stay savage, peace.